Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. It's over. It's done. Thankfully. Question is, as we look at this, how would you sum up the abomination that was the Lakers season? Well, you could do it pretty quickly. You could do it very quickly and very succinctly thanks to Lakers broadcaster Stu Lance, who, by the way, is an icon. I love Stu Lance. Stu spit this into a hot mic. Hold it, 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 Testing, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Hello, Anthony. S-O-S-D-D. Get this over with. Put us out of our misery. All right, so very clearly, that was not on air, but that was on a hot mic, and somebody got it. You know, test, 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 one, two, three, four, five, four, three, two, one, S-O-S-D-D, S-O-S-D-D. In other words, same old bleep, different day, S-O-S-D-D, same old-ish, different day, quote, get this over with, put us out of our misery, one more time. S-O-S-D-D, get this over with, put us out of our misery. S-O-S-D-D, put us out of our misery. That is the absolute truth. Stu Lance is an icon. He's been broadcasting for 35 years. One of the best ever. One of my favorites ever. And he has never said a more accurate thing than what he just spit into that hot mic. Same old bleep, different day, get this over with, put us out of our misery. Really, all of us. S-O-S-D-D, get this over with, put us out of our misery. See, Stu might have been speaking for himself or maybe a few co-workers. I don't know that Stu knew, or maybe he did because he's Stu. He was actually speaking to Laker fans, but really on top of that, he was speaking for Laker fans because this entire season was same old bleep, different day. And last night, Laker fans were finally, finally put out of their misery. The Suns beat the Lakers, and now L.A. is finally done. The long, miserable season is finally over. Finally. They're not making... Thanks, Rit. Thank you very much, Ike. Way to be present. Mr. President, finally! Thank you. You're welcome. Finally. They're- <laughs> this guy, I can't shut this old guy up. <laughs> they- <laughs> Rit! They're not-, <laughs> They're not making the playoffs. They're not making the play-in. They aren't doing anything. It's just over. Man, I thank Bleep for that because it was horrible. Every part of it was horrible. Every single minute of it was horrible. Horrible and dumb, in fact. Horribly dumb. Now, the good news is the Lakers season is done. Really good news. The bad news is the Lakers are not done being the Lakers because you know what they're going to do, right? They're going to convince themselves that the problem was the head coach and the fact that they had so many injuries. The way the Lakers see it, the problem with the Lakers is never the Lakers. And the solution to the problem is always more Lakers. In other words, they are going to Laker the hell out of this thing and somehow find a way to make it even worse. Because that's what they do. They're going to find a way to blame the wrong things and do even worse things. Time and time again, this organization makes really weird, really dumb moves. And they've been doing it for a long, long time. So don't put this on Frank Vogel. They will. Don't put it on the injuries. They will. Hey, by the way, that big three. You know that, oh, if we only had our big three, if we only had our big three. Well, when you did have your big three... You are barely better than 500. And by the way, that big three, those pieces don't fit. So don't put it on the injuries or that. Or don't even put it on the GM wanting to be the GM. It's all of those things. But most of all, it's the Lakers being the Lakers. It's who they are. It's what they do. Weird, weird organization. Weird is often good, but not in their case. Weird is just weird. Weird is bad. Weird is awful. It's just like guys like Wilt, Jerry, K-A-J, E-R-V, K-O-B-E, and LeBron. Like, these guys have all papered over the cracks. I mean, let's remember what they've done recently. They kept THT over trading for Kyle Lowry. 
They let Alex Caruso go be Alex Caruso someplace else. They jerked around with Ty Lue in the coaching search, and now he's killing it with the Clippers. You see, the Lakers' solution to everything has been to make it even more Laker. And that's terrible for Team Lakers, but pretty awesome for team content. Let's not forget, they took a pretty team or a pretty good damn good team last year, and they decided to break that thing up. They decided to break it up, but they didn't just make it worse. They made it so much worse. They went from having a series lead on the eventual Western Conference champs to completely missing the postseason, and they did all of that while the GM was having a freakishly good season. Like the Spurs, they're going to be in the playing game, and the Spurs weren't even trying to get into the playing game. The Lakers were so bad that the Spurs had no choice but to get in. The Lakers have been worse down the stretch than Portland, and the Blazers detonated their entire season. Like, I don't think that I can stress this enough. The Lakers are a weird organization. Really weird. S-O-S-D-D. S-O-S-D-D. Oh, and A or F. Give me an A or an F. They're that too. S-O-S-D-D-A-F. A or an F. 17 championships, but a 17-win season only a couple of years ago. And, of course, now there are the reports that they're going to fire Frank Vogel. Of course, because those reports have been out there for months. Listen, I'm not going to sit here and say that Vogel was the coach of the year. I'm not saying that. But if you think the only problem with this team was the head coach, you're either dumb as hell or you work for the Lakers. Can I repeat that? So those of you in the back or those of you who are really dumb hear it. If you think that Vogel was the only problem with the Lakers, that the head coach is the only problem, you're either dumb as hell or you work for the team. Just like if you think the only problem with this team was injuries, you're either dumb as hell or you work for the Lakers. But the Lakers seem to think that. The Lakers seem to think that. And you know what? I love it. It's so moronic. I love it. Just like I love this. I love the report from Jake Fisher that the Lakers are looking at Doc Rivers and Quinn Snyder as possible replacements. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Doc Rivers or Quinn Snyder. Like, they have their choice because they're the Lakers. What, Greg Popovich didn't want any of that? Steve Kerr did not want any of that? Kerr didn't want to bring in a staff of Pop, Pop, Coach K, and Quinn Snyder with him. They didn't want any of that. Oh, and speaking of people wanting things, here's something for you. Why would Rivers or Snyder want this job? For who? For what? To coach a bunch of guys who are limping and crawling towards 40, and then that one young guy who always gets hurt. Yeah, I guess maybe Doc might want to change the scenery after a couple of years in Philadelphia. But would he really want this job? And I say this as somebody who's always liked Doc, but it's not exactly like Philadelphia is a smooth-running machine. Or how about Quinn? Maybe he wants a new team. Maybe he wants a new team and a new situation after a long run in Utah. But there are much better jobs than this. In fact, I'm not sure there's a worse job than this. And then there's this awesome line. I mean, hey, yeah, hey, Rome, we get it. Yeah, you may get it, but I could do this for three hours. Then there's this awesome line. Quote, multiple league figures contacted by BR referenced the possibility that Lakers senior basketball advisor Kurt Rambis returns to the sidelines after several previous coaching stops in the league, including an interim stint as Los Angeles' head coach. However, Rambis is said to be an integral figure in the front office and unlikely to resume a coaching role. End of quote. Again. <laughs> It's just so awesome. I'm not sure what's more hilarious. The possibility of Rambus taking over his head coach or the fact that the only reason why he wouldn't is because he's considered a, quote, integral figure in the front office. <laughs> Incredible. The only time the guy's been a full-time head coach, he went 32 and 132 
in Minnesota. The dude was 100 bleeping games under 500 in two years. He had a winning percentage below 200. I mean, that's like the worst batting average ever, but a hilarious winning percentage. This dude was 100 games under 500 for two years. The fact that his name is mentioned within 5,000 miles of the Lakers' job should enrage Laker fan. I mean, do that. Try and do that, and you may as well burn the crip to the ground. Which means the Lakers, knowing them, there's a damn good chance they'll do just that. No matter what they do, they're going to Laker the hell out of this. You know it. And I love it. S-O-S-D-D. 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 He's our new coach. He was 100 games under 500. Hey, remember, remember when LeBron hated the playing game? Remember that? Whoever came up with that need to be fired. But whatever. Well, you want to talk about an ice-cold take. Whoever came up with that bleep needs to be fired. Hey, you're right. Whoever came up with that need to be fired. You're right, Bron. Whoever came up with Space Jam 2 needs to be fired. Anyway, that's not the point. About the playing game, you're right. There should have been a playing game to get into the playing game. That's the idea. Like, the playing game... The playing game is not a destination or a goal for anybody. It's kind of like porn. You don't aspire to get into it. You end up in it. Anyway, bad analogy. But teams that don't even care... Actually, not a bad analogy. Teams that don't even care about being in the playoffs are in it. Can I repeat that, too? Teams that do not even care about being in the playoffs are in it. And the Lakers couldn't even do that. Like, the basketball version of porn looked at this squad and said, nah, not good enough. Get off of our bed, bug-infested, dirty mattress in the dirt. Chatsworth is too good for you. And so is Van Eyes. Get the hell out of here. Like, what an exhausting season. And for what? For what? Maybe during these Lakerless playoffs, you guys can have that championship parade around the city that LeBron keeps begging for. Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper beef jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper beef jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for its relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest. It goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you do not see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper or what's your beef? Denny Hamlin is my guest. Denny, it's good to have you back. How are you? Good. How's you, how you doing? Dude, you sound good. I love that. I love a Zoom call audio. I'm doing great. <laughs> Listen, let me quickly get you to go back to Sunday's race, if you would. Before Sunday's race, you had not gotten off to the start you had hoped. And I'm kind of curious, what was your mindset going into Sunday? Well, just to try to get a, a clean race under our belt. Like, you know, it's just, it's been a very tough first six weeks, um, but, you know, we just hadn't had the speed that we, you know, thought we would have to start the year. But, you know, there's no way to kind of get it on track like a win. So I, I really feel like we're kind of turning the corner there. And our season is so long that, you know, we've got time to recover and, and we're, we're making good strides on it. But I was kind of nervous that, you know, listen, let's are, are we really going to be as good as what I hope we were going to be? And, and he didn't know until the race started. We're talking to Denny Hamlin. Denny, for those who do not know, what was the strategy when it came to tires late in the race? And then what was your thinking behind that? Yeah, I mean, the, these teams have 
strategy software. So when to pit, when to take tires, all that is, is a big uh, equation that's very, very hard to describe. But essentially, when your car runs on new tires, it is tremendously faster than it is on old tires. And so you run your new tires to a certain point, and then you pit because you know the time gained on new tires will overcome the time that you spent on pit road. So we decided to pit more times and keep our car faster for a longer period of time and use that time on pit road is saying, we're going to make that up on the racetrack, with new tires. And in the end, we went from a lap down with 35 laps to go, made up an entire lap on the track, won the race and passed to the lead with four to go. There you go. Denny Hamlin joining us. He is the driver of the number 11 car for Joe Gibbs Racing. Denny, one thing you said about Sunday was you needed to get a data point. Can you lay that out? What do you mean by that? And did you get the data point that you were looking for? Yeah, I mean, like I said, we've struggled so much uh, to start the year that you needed some place that you call home, uh, a place where when you set up the race car and you you build out what's going to make that car go fast this weekend, you usually use it from a reference from another track similar. Well, the problem was is the track that was most similar to Richmond, Phoenix, earlier in the year, we all ran terrible. And so that's not a good data point for us to use. So now we have created that data point for that type of racetrack since all of our Joe Gibbs and Toyotas were very good. And now when we go to tracks that are similar, we're going to be, you know, we feel more confident going in there that we're going to be good. All right. So what about the track at Martinsville? I bring that up because I had Ryan Blaney on the show yesterday. We were talking about what it takes to have success on that particular track. What is your approach when it comes to Martinsville? it's it's very different in itself um i'm still a little nervous about what we're going to show up and we're you know if we would win it wouldn't surprise me if we run 15th it wouldn't surprise me um but i just uh it's a very small beat and bang type track there's a lot of contact there usually i would guess you're probably gonna see quite a few uh accidents uh which in, in times is exciting so I think that the finishes there have been fantastic. Overall, with our sport, we've got such a big wave of momentum with this new car. So we're hopefully going to keep riding that wave as, as long as we can and produce a great product for the fans to watch. Danny Hamlin joining us. I was going to ask you about those two very things. I was going to ask you about the change to the next-gen car. What's it been like for you and the team? How significant are the differences? Well, I mean, it's essentially other than having a steering wheel and four tires, everything else is different. <laughs> right. I mean, there's not one thing that is the same from the old car. So even though it may look the same on the outside, even though it doesn't, um, all the internals are different in this car that has a lot larger capability for us to have alternative power units in the future, whether it be a hybrid system or whatever. So um, that's kind of the, the geeky answer to it. But Overall, it's just a, a newer, better car. Hmm. Denny Hamlin, my guest, for a few more moments. Denny, speaking of accidents, you were talking recently about Ross Chastain's move a couple of weeks back and said, quote, I don't think there's any consequences to it. We've seen you can do kind of whatever you want. You might be worried about getting wrecked here and there in the future, but I think it's just become accepted. The art of passing is just something that isn't quite used as much nowadays. End of quote. In your experience, what has changed? What led to that change? Uh, The newer, younger generation that came in, it just seems like they're more aggressive. Now, more aggressive is fine, but I think it's just, you could talk about a much bigger subject here of like, just the lack of respect that people have for each other nowadays. All you have to do is log on Twitter to find that. Um, you know, when when we feel like there's a barrier between us, you know, people talk a lot of stuff. And when you're in a car and you don't have to answer to that person face to face, you're willing to do things that you you wouldn't if you had to answer to it. And I think in the past, you know, what happened is you got you know wrecked or knocked out of the way. You come, you get your front teeth knocked out. And nowadays you know, crew members protect their guys and it's very corporate, very different sport than what it used to be. So these young guys feel like, you know, and, and it's not always young guys. It's we, we, us old veterans, we make our mistakes too, but you know, they're just more aggressive in thinking that, Hey, the risk is worth the reward because the reward is winning. The risk is, eh, I might get a little backlash here and there. And I might have to worry about that guy wrecking me in the future, but people just think it's worth it nowadays. I like that. I mean, I don't like that that's the way it is. I like your response. Uh, that's Denny Hamlin. That's the Denny Hamlin I know. 
So you're working with FedEx and the Career Insights Program. What is this particular program all about? Why is that something you wanted to get involved with? Well, it was important because, you know, FedEx has been a huge supporter of HBCUs for a very long time. But the Career Insights Program in particular is what um, we're taking some kids from HBCUs and we're bringing them to our race team. And I'm showing them on the ownership side, okay, here's the opportunities that we can provide to you in your career field. And what you think, well, my career field doesn't add up to being part of a race team. They just build fast cars. Well, no, we, we hire all aspects and all different types of career uh, skill sets at our race team. And so giving them that education is, is, is great. Giving them the opportunities, the connections uh, that they, they get from that is huge. And so um, we actually had you know, a bunch of kids from HBCUs come out to Richmond where we won this past weekend and they're celebrating in victory lane. And then we, you know, we sit down and have lectures with them on Monday and Tuesday about our, our business and how it works and, and what we, what opportunities we can provide to them in the future. So um, listen, it's very tough for these HBCUs to compete against the big schools, whether they're fighting for athletes or fighting for talent in the workforce when you look at a resume, you know, it's, it's tough to not choose one over the other. So we're trying to give those opportunities to those kids in the future. I like it. Great cause. He is the driver of the number 11 car for Joe Gibbs Racing, co-owner of 2311 Racing, and again, appearing today courtesy of FedEx and its Career Insights Program. He is Denny Hamlin. Denny, great job as always. Great to get caught up. Thank you so much. Good luck. Thanks, Jim. And now I've got a message from Discover about rewards. If you're a loyal credit card customer, you should be rewarded for your loyalty, preferably with something that's useful, you know, like cashback match. Discover matches all the cash back that you've earned at the end of your first year. How cool is that? Finally, rewards that make sense. Discover. Exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations do apply. Bill's Mafia. How y'all living? You know, I've asked that question to you many times in recent years. How are y'all living though right now? How are you all living right now? How the bleep y'all living? I know. I already know the answer. Nice as hell, yo. I'm guessing you are about ready to smash through a few tables and release some of that pent-up energy and anxiety. You know, there's been a bit of a burden and it's been lifted, but I know it's been weighing on you pretty heavily for the past several weeks. Reason for that. You've seen the sort of money that wideouts have been getting. You saw what Devontae Adams got. You saw what Tyreek Hill got. You started to wonder, how does that going, or how will that affect us? What's that mean to Stephon Diggs? What are we going to do? What do we do when we have a franchise quarterback who's already getting paid? He's got to get the ball to a go-to wide receiver, but can we afford to pay them both when the going rate is what it is now for wide receivers? You know how fat that contract is, right? For a franchise quarterback. You know that Josh Allen is a franchise quarterback. You know Josh Allen with the fat contract, right? Josh Allen, Jim. 5-0 and against the Bills in the past three seasons. Josh yeah. Allen. Josh Allen, yeah. Let's make it six First here. of all, Josh Allen is not 5-0 and against the Bills. The last three seasons. Yeah, no. Anyway, as always, ahead. Thanks for nothing. Good news, though, Mafia. The front office found a way to make it work by throwing fat cash to Josh Allen's favorite target, and he locked down your star wideout, Stephon Bleeping Diggs. Yes, Diggs. Now, he will not be following the Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams route because Adam Schefter broke the news this morning that the Bills have, in fact, agreed to a four-year, $104 million contract extension with the two-time Pro Bowler. 70 mil of that paper is guaranteed. So that deal looks as if it will tie him to the shiny and up-and-coming city of Buffalo for six more seasons. Six. So I guess the organization sent the same message to Steph's all-pro bro, Trayvon, that Allen did last month. That is, if you want to play with big bro, it's not going to happen in big D. If you want to hook up and play with big bro, you best be Buffalo bound if you want that little bro. Remember, little bro tweeted, he's always wanted to play with Steph. And 14 to Dallas would be nice. 
Josh Allen quickly shot that down with a, quote, no. No! Like, no way in hell that's going to happen. No way in hell the organization will let that happen. And it's not. It's clear. They want this guy to retire as a bill like they want Josh Allen to retire as a bill. And then Allen perfectly responded to that news by responding to Schefter's tweet with a, quote, yes. Like, yes, I got my guy. Yes, we have picked our collective souls off the KC gridiron, and we are coming for that elusive, bleeping Lombardi. And honestly, Mafia, you had to get this done. You had to get this done. They know it. That's why they did it. They had to get it done. Josh Allen has simply been a different quarterback with Diggs in the lineup. I'm not saying that's the only reason he's been a different quarterback, but he has been a different quarterback with Diggs in the lineup. You know, a unicorn, actually, and on the short list of young stars that the NFL has right now. And now he's got prime Diggs for another half a dozen seasons. And how nice of a non-distraction is this going forward for Buffalo? The Super Bowl favorite Buffalo Bills, that is. Yes, I said it. That's not me jumping in, trying to find somebody to replace America's team. They are, in fact, the Super Bowl favorites. Fact. You heard it correctly. And it's not me. It's DraftKings. DraftKings has the Bills as the plus 650 favorite to win it all right now. Plus 650. To win it all right now. They're literally the favorite to win it all. And remember, they did add Von Miller to get some juice to that pass rush. So that roster is stout. And they've got their draft to add even more talent. What a bleeping few weeks for Buffalo. And hell, this digs news. This is such good news. This has to even put a smile on that angry human Penis's face, Rick and Buffalo. Rick, my guy, you know those are not my words. Brother, Matt in Vancouver said that. You look not like an me. angry, screaming human penis, man, mixing a baseball cap. That's not my voice. Matt in Vancouver famously said this about Rick and Buffalo, a legendary jungle caller. You look like an angry, screaming Human penis, man, mixing a baseball cap. Perhaps Matt's finest moment in the jungle. Rick, you're my dude. You know that. Matt, you're my dude, too. I love both these guys. Hey, Rick, you know I got you, even if Matt doesn't. Either way, either way, just don't come, don't come for me with that. That's from that dude up north. Now, the best thing about Rick, the best thing about Rick, and I love the guy, I know, ultimately, at some point, he'll be back with something more for Matt. If this little Josh McDaniels really call for a fake spike down 27 at the end of the first half, other than changing Mac Jones' diaper at halftime, then press-feeding him after the game, McDaniels has rendered himself pretty much useless. I don't know, dude. I'm a big Josh McDaniels guy. I love that hire. And I like Mac Jones. And I don't think that Josh was breastfeeding Mac. However, Rick, my dude, you do you. Because there's almost no one better. In fact, I'll do you. Buffalo! How y'all living today? Now that you know that the Lombardi is coming. Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper Beef Jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper Beef Jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for its relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. 
Oats Wrapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest. It goes with you wherever you go so to the Joel game, to the gym, to the beach. Another enormous so look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality the you're buying. Indiana. Look for it. His in major retail stores near you, clones, if you points. do not see it, but ask for it by name because Joe, no other jerky compares Old Trapper or What's Your Beef. His personality always has been, still is, now more than ever, is absolutely different level next level stuff and we know this because the athletic did a piece on him where they talked to a number of teammates and coaches and the stories they get are just amazing amazing like i cannot get enough i've always loved joe and now it's like we just got this fix this joel fix as an example the time that he went over to the home of an assistant coach and joe asked if the kids who were seven nine and ten wanted to play video games he then goes into his own backpack and pulls out a PlayStation, hooks it up, and proceeds to kick little kid ass. Billy Lang said, quote, When I say he pummeled my kids, there was no mercy. I think he won a Madden game 98-6. to six. Then he started talking junk to the kids. When they started playing NBA 2K, he was saying things like, quote, Can't guard me. You can't get a stop, end of quote. To kids, to children, a grown-ass man who packed his own PlayStation into his own back- backpack just so he could beat up on little kids. I love it. Like, there was no way he was going to leave it to chance that there might not have been a PlayStation in their home. He wanted to make sure there was one, so he brought his own just so he could kick the crap out of a seven-year-old kid and talk junk about it. Now, on the one hand, I would call that the biggest a-hole move ever. If for anybody other than Joe. If Joe does it, it's awesome. And if you think that's the only story of him picking on kids, you'd be wrong. Joe's trainer and one of my favorite guys, a podcast guest of mine, Drew Hanlon, talked about going to Cameroon with Joe and watching Joe play soccer. He's playing soccer now. Drew said, quote, there was a 13-year-old kid that had the ball and Joel would go up and body check him off the ball, end quote. A seven-foot elite world-class athlete checking teenagers in a totally different sport. Now tell me that's not the best move ever. Tell me Joe is not the best human being ever. And just so we're clear, he doesn't only pick on and trash talk kids. According to Justin Anderson, he does it to adults as well. And in other things. Not just video games, not just soccer, not just basketball, but poker. Poker. Starting to get the sense that Joe likes to win and talk trash at everything. Quote, he'll bluff you hard, then after he bluffs you, he'll let you know about it. In poker. In poker, etiquette is to keep it cool. No, there was none of that with him. He'll immediately let you know, I bluffed you, you're stupid. Ha ha, look at you. End of quote. The thing is, it's not even about bluffing. It's about him calling it out afterwards and saying, you're stupid. Ha ha, look at you pretty hilarious like I just bluffed your ass man you are like the stupidest guy ever ha ha look at you normally somebody does that in poker they take your money they bluff you they humiliate you they take your money and then they rub it in your face and talk junk that is absolutely a reason to go but who's gonna go with a guy who is seven feet tall strong as hell agile as hell long as hell And hilarious as hell. No. If Joel Embiid does that to you, you wear it. And you say, you know what, Joe? You're right. I am the stupidest person on the planet. You rule. Because he does. It's awesome. How can you not love this guy? Even when he's trolling you and rubbing it in your face. Or as J.J. Reddick says, quote, There's a level of just bleeping with people at all times. Which is exactly how he got the gloss Troel. 
you know, troll Embiid, troll Embiid does some of the things he does on social media because he's bleeping with people all the time. Like J.J. Reddick just said, I know what you're thinking. Yeah, sure, Rome, it's all well and good. All well and good that he's clowning kids on PlayStation or adults at poker, but the guy's a basketball player. All right, that's what matters. What's he like there? Oh, he's nasty. He's nasty. When he was rehabbing from an injury and was finally allowed to have contact and proceeded to go to work on player development coach Curtis Sumter for a couple hours, here's what Sumter said. He beat the bleep out of me. And it wasn't even just the physical punishment. It was the psychological punishment, too. Quote, he would try to talk to me literally like I was a little boy. Okay, now wait for it. Quote, he'd be like, you're a bum. You're too little. End of quote. So there it is. Bum smack from Joel Embiid. And not to any rando, but to the player development coach who is helping to rehab him, which is awesome. He's always been one of my favorite athletes. But when you're calling the player development coach at the NBA level a bum, you go to a whole new level of greatness. So, yes, I'm going to violate my own personal code of not allowing bum smack, but only for Joel. Here's a guy trying to help this guy rehab and get back and get right. And he's like, man, you're a bum. You're a bum, Sumter. You're too little, and you're a bum. I'm going to allow bum smack for Joel. If Troel wants to bum anybody at all, he has my permission. And I'll even talk about it on this show. You're a bum. And now we're going to get to the controversial part. That was not it. Him calling a team employee who's only trying to help him a bum is not even the spicy stuff. The controversial part is this. His teammates aired him out for how he likes to eat his steak. Amir Johnson said he likes to, quote, extra, 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 extra well done. End of quote. I mean, how much more done can it be than extra, 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 extra done? Well done. Tobias Harris said, quote, he likes his steak burnt, which is like super disrespectful. We were at a very well-known steakhouse. He asked for the steak to be burnt, burnt. And the chef came out and was like, he's not burning the steak. That's like against his chef code. Joel was disappointed, and he was like, I don't want to eat here anymore. End of quote. Man, can you imagine how pissed off the chef would have to be to come out of the kitchen to tell you to your face, especially if you're Joel Embiid, that he's not cooking your steak the way you're ordering it. He's not cooking your steak the way you want it. That chef had to be personally offended on a really deep level. Like the chef is saying, in effect, that's a violation of my code, big dude, the chef code. In other words, that's the chef's reason to go. Now, look, I understand how temperamental some chefs can be, but this dude, like, doesn't even care that it's Joel Embiid. You know that whole thing about the customer is always right? That's not, that's not true at all. In restaurants like that, the chef is always right. You can order whatever the hell you want, but you're going to get what the chef cooks. You're going to get what the chef wants you to have. Yeah, the hell Joel is. Chef's like, no, I don't care who you are, man. You could be Dr. J. You could be MJ. You could be Braun. You could be Isaiah Thompson. All rolled into one. This is how you're getting your meat. This is how we do it. Take it or leave it. We're not changing for anyone. Not even you, Joe. Joe's looking at this guy. I'll bet you, I wasn't there, but I'll bet you anything Joe said, hey, get your bum ass back in that kitchen and cook it some more. And then when you think it's burnt to a crisp, bum ass, cook it another 10 minutes. I'm not even playing. You're lucky I even eat for you bastards. You know the hell I am, bum ass? Cook it again. Like, I don't even care who you are. Kid, adult, player, developmental coach, chef, whatever. You try Joe, you're going to get abused mentally, physically, and emotionally. Don't bleep with this dude because you know you'll lose. And by the way, if burnt brick 
Is the man's choice of doneness? Enough said. Who cares if he needs to cut that thing with a chainsaw? If Joel wants to put ketchup on that fine steak, Heinz away, big dude. You want to top that off with an A1 splash? You go right ahead, big fella. If Joel wants to double dip his chip in the spinach artichoke dip, you go right ahead. Triple dip, quadruple dip. He's Joe. If Joel looks over even at my plate and likes what I'm having better, I'm going to push my plate over before he even hits me with a bum ass. Trust the process? You bum asses don't trust the process. You just don't get it. And the reason for that, y'all bunch of bums. Thanks, Joe. And now a message from Discover about customer service and common sense. Listen, when you have credit card questions, it is nice to have them answered by a real person. You know, somebody who can actually understand your issues and work to resolve them. In other words, what you don't need is a robot. That's why Discover offers helpful U.S.-based representatives available 24 and 7. No wonder we call it live customer service. Discover. Exceptionally common sense. Discover. Not all beef jerky is the same. Old Trapper's original old-fashioned teriyaki, hot and spicy and peppered, all come in four-ounce bags. So you can sample different flavors to find the best one for you. Ask for Old Trapper by name because no other jerky compares to Old Trapper. What is your beef? Rit was actually in the studio. The only non-October 14th day that's ever happened. Game because on. Alvy forgot to bring in the giant tower of beef to my left. Dude, dude. Let's do this. Jimothy, my beef is with the wind. Why does it turn up to gale force the second I roll my trash and recycling out to the curb? Every trash day, my neighborhood turns into looking like a Walmart after Black Friday. Enough already. Eric in Colorado Springs. Rome, my beef is with sea salt. It tastes exactly the same as regular salt, but some people want to convince you it's special. People who claim it's special and tastes better are lying out their ass. If I cook for those people and use table salt instead of sea salt, they wouldn't be able to tell a difference. And if they said they can taste the difference, I would kick their lying asses out of my house. Tom of Virginia, that's different. I like that. I like that. James, my beef is when musicians let the audience sing their most popular song instead of singing it themselves. I didn't pay an arm and a leg to be a part of a giant sing-along with a bunch of strangers screaming at the top of their lungs, drunk, off of $15 pounders. Mike and Minnie, also good. Jim, I got a beef. Can we make it three in a row? Jim, I got a beef with people who say tuna fish. Could you be any more redundant? What other kind of tuna animal is there? We don't say salmon fish or halibut fish. We don't eat chicken bird. That's what's your beef segment is not sponsored by Old Trapper Beef Cow Jerky. Just call it tuna. Jason in Bend, Oregon. Hell yes, Jay. Nice job. That's three for me. I'm going to edit this one. Rome, my beef is with the wife. Recent Vegas vacation. She is dressed to kill. She has heads turning all night. We get back to the room, and suddenly I'm looking at Medusa. What the hell happened to the lady who was so hot for everybody else to see? Dawn in Fort Myers. Yo, dude. Hey, Rome, I have a beef. With my coworker that says, true story, every time he's about to tell one of his lame ass stories, are we supposed to believe this exaggerated BS that he is spewing from his pie hole, or is true story just to tell that it's all a lie? Aaron in Iowa, pimp in the box. My beef is with idiot drivers who pull out in front of you so close to where you have to swerve or jam on your brakes to avoid hitting them, and then they immediately turn into the next place of business. Hey, butt wipe. There wasn't a car within 100 yards behind me. You could have waited two more seconds then pulled out. Patrick in Alabama. I agree. That is one of the all-time jerk moves. I hate that. Like Then they know, too. 
They know there's nobody behind you. At 49er Flex, hey, Jim, my beef is with grocery store managers who interrupt the music to make some lame and unnecessary announcement. They cut in at the worst times. At least let the drums finish on in the air tonight, man. Total buzzkill. Bro, I mean, I understand a good song getting interrupted, but at the market? But it's different. At Arlasco. See, this guy's right to the point. My beef is bums that wear sunglasses courtside at indoor basketball games. Hashtag, what's your beef? Jaime, what's my beef? Listen, jerks, just don't bother with hitting the turn signal a half a second right before you turn. Thanks, idiots. Steven S.A. I do that sometimes. Hey, extreme ownership. Jim, my beef is with man's inhumanity to the grape. Go to any produce department... Otherwise, normal people open up grape packages, sampling, then remove a vine or two, then disappear into the deli department. This behavior appears to span all races and creeds. Join me in a small way of ending the madness. Don't grope the grapes. Vincent Boca Raton. Hey, Rome. My beef is with all bosses that give more work to the hard workers while Johnny do-nothing-down-the-hall gets less work because he can't be trusted. What's up with that? John Signed, JTG in the ATX. Alvin, did you send that? My beef is with the dude who on the first weekend of spring feels the need to test out all of his loud ass lawn equipment at 7 a.m. on a Saturday. Hey, bag, find another way to avoid your wife and children that does not involve waking up the whole damn neighborhood. Adam in South Jersey. Hey, Adam, I got to be honest. I agree with you, number one, even though I'm a, a guy who gets up between four and five every day, no matter what. Dude, I think that's every neighborhood. There's always somebody with a lawnmower or some electric piece of equipment, some noise-making piece of equipment every Saturday morning. And it's not even just the homeowner. Like, it's the worker, the vendor, whoever it is. Uh, Trader Brent, Romy, my beef is with the guy at the golf scramble who will take a leak anywhere on the course. Won't get behind a tree or a bush. Hell, not even behind a cart. Dude is leaking all over the fairway, and I'm trying to dial my wedge in. It's a fair point, dude. Do you know why I quit golf? Because I saw a guy took a dump in the fairway once. That's why I quit. That's why I don't play golf. Fun fact. That's Write that down. That's why I don't play golf. I once saw a dude take a dump in the fairway. That's my beef. Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> James Kelly. Kenny, Jim, I got a beef with Coke Guy. Parties were a lot more fun until you showed up and brought cocaine and cigarettes and started talking about how great of an athlete you could have been. Get over it. You're in your 40s and you're about to have a heart attack. That's awesome. Hey, Jim, I bet all office workers have this beef. Buttholes, stealing your food from the break room fridge. I put a stop to that a couple of years ago. I made great-looking sandwiches using cat food. Problem solved, Mike and Snowbird. We did the same thing years and years and years and years ago in Santa Barbara in local radio. It works. We didn't use cat food. We used refried beans that had been in the sink for three days and put brownie frosting over them. Cut them into little squares and put brownie frosting over them. Refried beans that had been in the sink for three days and then stacked them up on a paper plate on this one table because this one jock we hated would always take people's food. And this dude went in there and he ate it. And we were all dying, like dying. You think I was laughing the other day over whatever that was? We were dying times infinity. 
And then Homeboy came back and had another one. And then one of the guys that I did like, I love this guy. He He's actually a famous jock. Bo Reynolds, I think. I love Bo. Anyway, Bo comes in. He's like, yo, dude, I love Insert Gal, the gal who made the brownies. He goes, dude, I love her, but man, she her, her brownies taste like refried beans. I'm like, bro, you didn't. He's like, what? Yeah, man. No, really. They taste like refried beans. I'm like, you know why? They are, dude. That that was not for you, man. That was for the afternoon guy. True story. That's not a true story with my embellishment. That is a true story. Derek near Green Bay. Jim, my beef is with Southwest for frowning about my beef. Signed, Southwest guy. All right, so, Chalk, these are all good. Should I keep going through them or should I give the callers a shot? There's more. All right, so I'm, I'm constantly saying the calls are never as good as the tweets, but today might be different. Let's go with Mike in Tampa. Mike, what's your beef? Romy, my beef is with the suits in New York who have taken it upon themselves to create their own version of the week that was on Friday <laughs> instead of letting us watch Alvin's masterpiece. No one turned on the TV to watch, watch, to watch a watered-down version of greatness. I haven't seen a decision this bad around the Jim Rome show since Dasmani left the XR4TI to go work for the Parks and Rec Department to make sure public restrooms had enough toilet paper or whatever it is he does. Out. <laughs> nice job, Mike. All right, so that's a good beef. Uh, I don't know that the, quote, suits in New York thought so. Let's go to Tucson. John in Tucson. John, what's your beef? Hi, Jim. My beef is with my radio station here in Tucson because last Friday they ran a test of the emergency broadcast system during the week that was. What the hell are they thinking? Hey, Tiger, break a leg. They call me Johnny B. Ah! No. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Alvi, are you planting these calls? Wow. Back-to-back beefs about the week that was. Let's go to Washington, Ron. Good to have you, Ron. What's your beef? My beef, Jim, is I have a beef with a certain someone whose name rhymes with Gafferty. Do I really need to learn a foreign language at my age, Jim, to understand play-by-play audio? Forty years ago, the only reason I got a D in French, because Sister Mary Whatnot was not having my story asked for six more months. Multiple times during the broadcast, it sounded like he was having a stroke, and it's a good thing he wasn't, because Hubert Davis, was of no help. Ron in Washington. Ouch! Man, my CBS fam is taking some today. 1-800-636-8686. Let's go to Kansas City. JJ. JJ! JJ, what's your beef? Bro, my beef was KU basketball and the whole internet. How is this not a meme marriage by now? KU basketball is totally the Will Smith of college basketball. Weren't they throwing, like, haymakers and chairs one minute ago, and now they're giving the biggest award to them ever in their sport? Come on. Like, hire Will Smith as your next head coach. You're going to need him after the FBI has a few questions. Ah! It's got to be tighter. Tighten it up. It can't be like a normal phone call or a normal rant. Beeps are like, bam, 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 bam. State your beef. Keep moving. Let's go to, like, this guy will get it. Let's go to Bob in L.A. He's always got a beef. He doesn't even need Wednesday to be a beef day. Bob, what is your beef, Bob? Hey, Jimbo. How about that bed bed, uh, warning light you have in your car for maintenance required? We all know what that means. They want you to run right into the car dealer, pay three times as much for an oil change, and pay for some 50-point check where they walk around and open the hood for two minutes. Anyway, I refuse not to get it, but I'm stuck with that light on all the time. I can't get it out. Some people in the new car, when it comes in, they're all saying, is there something wrong with your car? So I'm being... Pe- No. Bob, it's one or the other. You don't like that car. Go in and get it fixed. Not a very good car. Or live with it, but don't complain that it costs too much to get it fixed and then complain that you have to look at it. Just ignore it, man. He is Rex Hoggard. Rex, what's going on? How are you? This is awesome. A tradition unlike any other. Let's keep it going. 
And we will, Rex. As long as I've got a show, that is my plan. Listen, before we get to Tiger Woods, as you reported this morning, over an inch of rain did fall at Augusta National yesterday. More is expected today. So how does the course look right now, and what does that mean for the field this week? Uh, they cleared, actually, the players off the course because of the rain, and there was a storm that came through. They are playing the Par 3 competition right now. I, I think it's just going to be the theme of the week. Now, no place can control the conditions better than Augusta. They have a magic wand, and, and they are able to dry the golf course out, probably more so than any other place. So I would expect the firm conditions that they were looking at earlier in the week. I would expect it by the time we get to Sunday to be fast like they want. But until you get there, I think you're going to start seeing the players, and Rory McIlroy immediately comes to mind, who always seem to play well and sort of these sloppy conditions where you can be a little bit more aggressive and power is a little bit more at a premium. Talking to Rex Hoggard. So was the what's the vibe like around the course when Tiger Woods is playing practice rounds this week? Why don't we start right there with Tiger? I don't think I've ever seen anything like what I saw on Monday. Even, I mean, the way the crowds sort of gathered all around the first tee when he made his way over. You don't even see that on a Sunday because there's sort of this weird ebb and flow to how things work on a Sunday. A lot of the people who are locals who live here in Augusta, they go home on Sunday after kind of hanging out in the morning and they want to watch the, the late innings of the final round at home on their couch. And so it's relatively quiet compared to what we saw on Monday. I mean, it was insane how many people, I mean, it must have been five, six, seven people deep down every fairway that he played. And I think it's a combination of things. One, this has been, you know, kind of pandemic light the last two years, certainly here at the Masters. There were no fans in 2020 and a limited footprint in 2021 and i think a lot of those folks who had those tickets are taking advantage of it now and two i think everyone just wants to see tiger they all want to get a glimpse and see how he's walking see how he's swinging the golf club and you've seen that all week long we are talking to rex hoggard so i mean rex leaving aside walking for a moment what is your sense as to where his game is right now there was a lot of optimism yesterday when he spoke to the media and i've heard it from his camp about the last two weeks saying that this the decision really had nothing to do with how he was swinging the golf club. I was told the speed was back with the swing, and he had the ball speed back, and he was hitting all the shots that he felt like he would need at a place like Augusta National. But this all came down to, can that right leg endure 72 holes of what is really one of the most, if not the most, demanding walks in golf. But I think there's an optimism in his game, and we've talked about it this morning on Live From, that if somehow, just like he did in 2019, he can get to Sunday and somewhat, somehow be close to the lead, that suddenly the institutional knowledge that he enjoys kicks in, and now we start talking about what, honestly, it's, it's hard to fathom that he could somehow show up this week after nearly a year and a half away and contend. I mean, Rex, if I had said to you two months ago, or even two weeks ago, that on Tuesday of Masters Week that he intended to tee it up and that you and I would even have a conversation about, well, if he could just get to Sunday, anything could happen. What would you have said? No way. I mean, it just wasn't going to happen. I mean, I covered the accident in uh, February of last year. We all saw the car crash. We all read the medical reports. We all know now in retrospect that he barely got out of the hospital with two legs. The doctors tried to talk to him about maybe amputating that right leg. That That's as bad as things were. He didn't get out of a bed for three months after the accident. What we, Even what we saw at the end of last year when he was hitting balls in the Bahamas at his event in December or playing with Charlie, that, that was on a flat golf course in a golf cart, playing 36 holes. It was impressive. I think all of us were, were pleased and we couldn't believe what we were seeing, but never would I have imagined that, okay, four months from now, we're going to be talking about him as one of the contender, contenders. Now, I'll say outside contenders. I'm not going to just go full breathless here, but certainly one of the outside contenders at the Masters. Rex Hoggard is joining us. So, Rex, what's your sense as to what the rest of the field thinks and feels about Tiger potentially playing? Is there anybody intimidated or concerned that he is, in fact, a legitimate contender? Or maybe do they like the fact that it's going to take some of the pressure and scrutiny off of them? I think it's the latter. Uh, certainly, you talked about Roy McIlroy, and he was in here yesterday. And I don't think I've ever seen him relaxed or as happy. And it has everything to do with the idea that if you and I weren't sitting here talking about Tiger Woods coming back this week, and there's also the conversation about Phil Mickelson not being here this week for the first time since 1994, we would be talking about Rory and his inability to finish out the Grand Slam and win the green jacket for the first time and how it's only going to get more and more difficult for him as the years go by. 
That's not a conversation, though. And for the guys like Rory and Brooks Kepka and anyone else who might find themselves in a position right now that they probably don't want to hear these conversations, Tiger's like a godsend. I mean, certainly if they get to Friday afternoon or even Saturday and suddenly he's in the mix, I'm sure that, that changes their opinion a little bit. But right now it's he can have all the spotlight, and they'll, they're more than happy to go about their business. Rex Hodder doing his thing from Augusta National. So, Rex, you mentioned Mickelson. How do you explain, for instance, Tiger potentially playing less than 14 months after this horrific car accident, but Mickelson is not playing? Like, is it your sense that Mickelson is not there for physical reasons, or is it something else? I think it's more mental reasons. He made it pretty clear that whatever it is that's going on in his world, and it's not great right now. We all read the comments that he made earlier this year, not just about the PGA Tour, and this has everything to do with the saudi back Super League and the concept that he's been connected to. But I think there's also something to be said for in his private life, and he talked about this in his statement, that there are things that he needs to be a better person, he needs to be a better husband, be a better father. The chairman here, Fred Ridley, at Augusta National, was asked about it today. He made it perfectly clear that they did not disinvite him, that he wasn't told not to come, and that Phil informed him just a few weeks ago via text, which I thought was kind of curious, that that uh, that he wouldn't be coming and he needed some time away. If, to go back just two months, as you just pointed out, and have the conversation that Tiger would be here, and we were talking about him contending, and Phil would not be here, and he'd be completely out of the picture, that's almost like bizarre world. It is bizarre world. Rex Hogler joining us. All right, so you mentioned Rory. What about Justin Thomas? He is one of Tiger's good friends, of course, and spent time with him over the last couple of weeks. At the same time, he's also trying to win another major of his own. He said the other day, Rex, that he is underachieved in majors. What do you make of that admission, and why do you think that he is underachieved? I think too much pressure. I mean, and, and JT's always pretty honest. I remember asking him at the end of last season how you would assess his year, and he gave himself a solid D. And this is a guy that won the Players' Championship, which is one of the five hardest events on tour to win. So he's pretty hard on himself. So I don't know if I was completely surprised. But he talked about putting too much pressure on himself, specifically at this event, where you hear that a lot. I heard heard it from Rory earlier in the week. I certainly heard it from other players, that they feel like when they get here, they need to do something special. That when they get here, they need to do something that's more than what they do week in and week out on the PGA Tour. And it's the guys who figure out that, no, I don't, that I can come out and play just a normal round of golf and still find myself in, in contention on a Sunday afternoon. Those are the guys that seem to have success. Hey, Rex, what about Scotty Scheffler? He was picked for the Ryder Cup team, and he was the first player in more than a decade to make a Ryder Cup team before getting a win on tour, which is pretty amazing. The thinking at the time was it's only a matter of time before he wins. Then he played really well at the Ryder Cup, got his first career win in February, and now, now he is the number one player in the world. What's it been like for you to watch this meteoric rise? The part that got me, and there's a lot of stacks that come up when it comes to Scotty Scheffler and, and Full disclosure, he is my pick this week for a lot of different reasons. But from the time he won his first PGA Tour event, which was just a few weeks ago in Scottsdale, to the time he got to world number one was 54 weeks. That is by far the fastest span ever to get from your first PGA Tour win to world number one. Of course, second on that list now is Tiger Woods because he's, he leads to every category. Tiger Woods needed 252 weeks to do what Scotty Scheffler only needed 54 weeks. It's very rare that we have a conversation and someone does something that Tiger wasn't even close to. I don't know if it's fair to compare Scotty to Tiger. I don't know if it's fair to compare anyone to Tiger, but it's been impressive to watch his climb. And as relaxed as he is in his style of play, I would not at all be surprised if he's right back in the hunt this week. All right, so if he is your pick, give me a dark horse or two to keep an eye on. My dark horse, and I don't even know if this is fair, I always, kind of color outside the lines, but Will Zalatoris, he did finish second here last year, so he probably doesn't qualify as a true dark horse, but if you look at the things that we talked about at this golf course, everyone says it's a putting contest, but statistically, I think we've learned that it's more of a second shot golf course, that it's an approach golf course, that you really need to be able to control your iron shots. Right now, Will Zalatoris is number one on the PGA Tour in strokes gain approach. As I said, he finished runner-up here last year, so it's clearly a place where he feels comfortable. And the one thing you would point to in his game that's a concern, which is his putting, he seems to have found some sort of at least partial solution over the last few weeks. If you look at the match play just two weeks ago where he, he went deep into the weekend, and I think it has everything to do with he and his coaches are just trying to simplify it, and that's 
kind of a recipe for success here. Rex Hogger joining us, covering so much ground. Rex, one last guy I want to ask you about. It feels like it was not that long ago that every time you and I would have a conversation at a major, we would talk about Jordan Spieth. Then that all changed, but he was tied for third at the Masters last year. He was the runner-up at the Open Championship. He's coming in off a 35th, 35th place finish in San Antonio. What are your thoughts about his chances this week? I would put him in that category as a guy who you would always expect him to be able to contend on this golf course just based on his history. There's just something about this place. But you pointed out it was sort of a middle-of-the-pack week last week in San Antonio. And statistically, it was his best ball-striking week of his entire career. I think he gained over seven strokes on the field for the four rounds. The opposite of that, it was his worst putting performance ever on the PGA Tour putting. So it's almost this heckle and jive high thing where I don't know how – to really put it into context, if you put him on this golf course, he would be impossible to ignore. But the parts of his game that are working versus the parts of his game that aren't working, I have a really hard time. We were having to kind of whittle it down to a top ten list of guys you would want to watch this week. I had a hard time putting him on that top ten list. A yeoman's effort. What a great preview of what's coming up this week. He is a GolfChannel.com senior writer. He is co-host of the Golf Central podcast. He is Rex number seven. He is a friend of the program, and we do this every time, every year this time of year. Rex, great to have you back. Have an awesome week. Great job with that, and thanks so much. Thank you so much, Jim. Good night now!